All right. Uh, so, um, just to open up with the scripture, Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Um, then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So I start off with this scripture because um, the, the biggest thing that stood out to me when I was in Africa was something from the scriptures, go out and make disciples of all nations. And being that we're all, all of, all of the different nations under one body, we're all one body of Christ. We are the body of Christ. In Africa, I was shown the body of Christ in a way that was new to me. And it was unique to see such a broad group of people coming together worshiping the Lord. I remember we went to a Maasai tribe church and deep, deep in the bush, we had, um, we had to drive through dry lakes and rivers to get there, no roads. And the church was um, powered by a generator. And it was, it was very remote. And the people there, they were all tribal. They weren't wearing regular, like you go to Africa and they wear pants and they wear shirts like us. But then like you go to this place and they're actually wearing like tribal robes. And when they're, they're worshiping the Lord, and it's a completely foreign language. I don't understand what's going on. I know that they're worshiping the Lord, though. Um, and the way they worship the Lord, they're, they're dancing, but they don't dance like us. They're dancing like this. They go. <laughs> and, then they, and they're jumping like two feet in the air. Not even kidding. And they're like, their stuff's getting thrown. And it's just completely different. And it was very unique to see such a broad group of people worshiping the Lord, and there's so many different tribes and peoples there in Africa, like the people we saw, the Maasai tribe, um, our translator couldn't translate the songs, because he was from a different tribe, and they spoke different languages, they all spoke one language, Swahili, but the Maasai was worshiping in their own language, so even in that small place, like Egan said yesterday, there's 130 tribes, but they were all united under one body, and it was all very foreign to me, and I was very foreign to them, and with so many ways of different, with so many different ways to worship the Lord, and there's so many unique attributes between all the people, we were, it was amazing to me that we were all under one God. I was thinking about, um, actually, that, that, that one church, that really, that really like kind of cemented this. Um, I was thinking about how a lot of these people, um, their cultures, they come from bare, like here in America, or in most Western countries, I mean, the, the cultures, the backgrounds, they, they can vary, but they don't vary in the way that I worship the horse god and you worship the goat god like it does there. There, they, um, the cultures that they came from, they would worship the sun, the rocks, the snakes. I mean, very, very different. But here we all were. I'm from like a million miles away. <laughs> And we're all worshiping the same God. It's a, it was amazing to me. In 1 Corinthians 12, um, 12 to 14, it says, The body is a unit. Though it is made up of many parts, and though all parts, all the parts of it are many, they form one body. So it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit into one body. Whether Jew or Greeks, slave or free, we were all given the one spirit to drink. Now the body is not made up of one, but many parts. So that's something I was shown. We were there seeing just this whole broad body. It wasn't just the people that I knew personally here. And you have churches just down the road that are part of the same body. But then you have churches on the other side of the planet that are of the same body. It became real to me when I was there. And this was the most amazing thing to me while I was there. was that there's so many different people, not even just in Africa, there's so many different people all over the world with so many different backgrounds under one God. And I knew that, in my, I knew that, but to see it played out, because, yes, I grew up overseas, but when I say I grew up overseas, I was used to it. That was my home. I, I, they weren't foreign to me. And this was my, I think this was one of my first times really seeing complete foreign culture, and I walk in there, and <clears throat> it's, not, it's not foreign. It's, it's like their family. And it's, it was very unique. And so, 
It says here, um, 1 Corinthians 14, For God is not a God of disorder, but of peace, as in all the congregation of the Lord's people. So we were worshiping, and we were worshiping in these churches, and every church, they didn't worship in English. They worshiped in Swahili, or their own language. And I had no idea what was going on half the time with the words. All I knew is that they were worshiping Jesus. So I just clap along. I'd pray my own. I'd pray. I'd pray to the Lord. I, but I didn't want to try to sing the words because I didn't want to like offend someone. Like goat hair table. Like I could. I could probably say it wrong. And but this is the way it's supposed to be. The God is the, the body of God. Body of Christ is supposed to be in harmony, worshiping and love the one true God. Um, and that's how it was when I was over there. Is back to the that Maasai tribe. Um, everyone else, I mean, so they were like, eventually, so all the chairs were taken out of the room before we worshiped, which that was the first. So they, it was like, all right, we're about to worship. Everyone just starts picking up the chairs and like stacking them up in the corner. I'm like, what's about to happen here? <laughs> um, they're like, they're like doing like the, like a, a conga line in, in, in worship. And the worship leaders like dancing around and throwing stuff and like everyone's jumping and everything. And, um. And even though I didn't, I, didn't, I didn't necessarily know what they were singing, I knew they were praising the Lord. I just worshiped along with them. And I, my, my spirit was at peace with that. And it wasn't like I was worshiping with foreigners either. Although our customs were different and our countries were different, we were all under one body, under the same household. We weren't, it wasn't the Americans and the Tanzanians. It was the um the the what, you, what you, the Christianians and the Christianians or Havanians and the Havanians. we were we were under we were all Israelites because we're all grafted in Ephesians two nineteen to twenty consequently you are no longer foreigners and strangers but fellow citizens with God's people and also with members of His household built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. So we were all in the body of Christ. And it wasn't, like I said, it wasn't us going to visit, us foreigners going to visit the foreigners to us. It was just, it was fellow, fellow members of the body of Christ going to go see other members of the body of Christ. And that was my biggest takeaway from that trip. I'm excited. Um, okay, I'm just going to jump right into it. Because um, this is really for me. This is a message I'm passionate about. Um, I love missions. It's my heart. Um, so I'm just going to be sharing some things that the Lord taught to me. And hopefully you can take something from it. Um, so before we even went to Africa, we have had the incredible opportunity um, of leading summer camp this summer here. So we had four weeks of summer camp, two weeks in Africa, came right back to finish summer camp. And this summer, we have been talking about the armor of God. And so each week, we've taken it in bite-sized pieces, talking about the belt of truth, the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, the shoes of the readiness of the gospel of peace, the shield of faith and the sword of the spirit. So this summer, the Lord was doing something long before we even set foot in Africa. He was teaching me about who he really is and who he has called me to be as his child and how I am to be dressed and ready with my armor of God. And so um, when I was 16, the Lord gave me a supernatural download, and he just grabbed my heart, and um, I was called to ministry, and it was so exciting for me. I felt the call to pursue missions, and so naturally, I was super excited when they offered this trip to Tanzania. I was the first one. Sign me up. Um, my husband, too. okay. Um, (laughs) Anyways, um, so once we got there, even before we got there, this trip was super unexpected. Um, It was a growing trip of faith from the moment we got dropped off to the airport. 
with the flights changing. They got canceled so many times. We had to rebook, got there a completely different way, um, and the whole trip. Nothing really went as I had expected it. Our luggage was lost. Um, The first day we get there thinking we're going to this Bible college and we're going to sit and listen to a devotional. So we walk in and there's like all these students. They just start clapping really loudly. I'm like, why are they clapping? This is so weird. And so we all just, the four of us, we're all just like looking at each other like, what do we do? And so we walk to the back of the classroom, we take some students' desks, and we're just sitting there. And then finally our translator comes, he's like, you know you're leading it, right? Get down here. (laughs) We're like, oh. (laughs) Um, So we all look at each other, thankfully, you know, Mr. Gary, he was ready. In season and out. It was awesome. That was the whole trip. We, um... We went to this church. We're thinking we're going to a church. And so we're just going to preach the gospel. We're going to share some testimony, share some word. And, um, yeah, so we get there. We're thinking we're going to have, like, an hour to speak. And then we're going to have lunch. And so we get there. And um, before we even went up, the pastor called the congregation. He was like, okay. If you're an evangelist, stand up. So like six people stood up. He's like, if you're a worship leader, stand up. More people stood up. If you're a pastor, stand up. And by that time, everyone in the room was standing. So we're thinking we're going to go, you know, preach the gospel to a church, going to get some people saved. They were all pastors. And um, that was That was awesome. It was a pastor's conference. So we were thinking we are going to share for an hour. Um, after the hour, the guy comes up. He's like, all right, guys, we're going to take a quick break, go outside, drink some tea. We're going to back in for session two. And we all just looked at each other and we're like, session two? We grabbed our Bibles. We're flipping through it. Praise the Lord. There's a session three as well. It was a growing trip of faith for sure. Um, faith that the Lord will lead where he calls. I myself was fighting some feelings of inadequacy. Um, who am I to be standing on the platform preaching to pastors from Africa? And so the Lord, I had to have supernatural faith the entire trip. Um, but what I took away was while we were teaching, whether that was in a school or a home visit or in a church, I was amazed by the hunger that I saw in these people, the hunger to walk for miles and cram into this tiny little house to hear the word of the Lord, Um, a hunger for a touch for the Lord to move. And it was so, so powerful because there's something to be said about being desperate for the Lord. Um, Pastor Egan didn't really share it last night, but he did last year. When COVID-19 first outbroke, outbroketh, um, the president of Tanzania, he stood up and he told, addressed his people. He said, we don't have the money. We don't have the medicine. We don't have the resources like the Western world. And so with really no other option, he called his country to three days of prayer and fasting And after those three days, he stood up and he declared um, Tanzania a COVID-free country by faith. Amen. (laughs) We could learn a thing or two. But their faith shielded them. So they actually didn't didn't even bother them. The sickness, nope, not even an issue. Um, And I love this because they had their faith in the Lord. And when we put our faith in the Lord, he's a trustworthy God. And that's what the Lord was teaching me while we were there. Um, Mark 5.35, this is the woman with the issue of blood. And um, she goes and she touches the hem of his garment. And he says, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. So our faith is powerful. It's super powerful. 
And I love this story about COVID because they had no plan B, C, D, X, Y, Z, you know? It was only God. That was the only plan. And I myself felt convicted. It it challenged me about where am I putting my faith in? Is it my savings account, my doctors, my essential oils, my vitamins, you know? And these are tools that the Lord has blessed me with being in America, but he's also given me the church. Amen? So the church is the body of Christ. So when I'm overwhelmed, sick, stressed, failing, I need to be right here grabbing hold of Jesus. So when things come up, as they inevitably do, I don't need to freak out or stress. As I learned this summer, I need to put on my armor of God and my shield of faith in place, and I need to go see Jesus. So one of my biggest takeaways was going to Africa. We hear these stories from Dr. Egan about just how the Lord moves mightily, the blind getting their sight, the old people being able to walk without their canes. As Pastor said earlier, wow, wow, because it's wow. And I want to see wow here because God is the same God as he's in Africa. And I know that he's the same today yesterday and forever. My God is not changing. In John 14, 12, it says, Verily, truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works that I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. So I don't know about y'all, but I want to see greater. I want to be part of greater. Here. Next week, we're going to the French Quarter. I want to see greater. But I need to build my faith. I know some of us here have the gift of faith, but I also know that for others, we need a little push, right? They call it a leap of faith for a reason. I I need a push sometimes. And um, this really hit me in Matthew 13, 58, after Jesus finished in his hometown, he was limited says, he did not do many miracles there because of their lack of faith. Lord, do not let my lack of faith be a hindrance for you to move. And that is my prayer coming back here because he is a trustworthy God. I don't need to put my trust in other things. He formed me in my mother's womb. He wrote my DNA. He knows every part of my body. He is my great physician. I can trust him way more than I can trust a doctor because he's a trustworthy God. It's who he is. With my finances, my God, he owns a cattle on a thousand hills, and he's Jehovah Jireh, my provider. I have to claim it as my own, and I pray that I'm going to see it here. And you, and your families. So I'm excited. These are my testimonies from Africa, but I'm so excited for like next month hearing y'all's testimonies. God is moving. We just need to like receive it, you know? <laughs> That's it. Amen. So we learned a little bit of Swahili, but uh, not too much. But one I can remember is Buana Yesu Asafiwe. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. I can remember that one. I can't remember much, but I can remember that. So thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. In, in Swahili, that's Asante Sana. That means thank you so much. So because you gave financially to us, the team, we were able to then, as Reach Community, sow into uh, Tanzania, the home visits. We were able to give food, uh, buy a lunch. Man, when we did the first home visit, it was, uh, we got a little um, rerouted or whatever to try to find the street, but 
Man, this lady's house, she welcomed our neighbors to come over. And I'm going to tell you, they kept coming. The next one, and the next one, and the next one. God actually did a miracle. We didn't eat there first, thank God, because there was just enough food. Imagine that. God did it. So thank you for sowing a seed. We were able to sow a seed back into a church. The whole chicken story is just in my mind because the pastor and his wife and children you know what, the, the, the wife went out behind the, the shack of a house and got a live chicken, came in, told our translator, hey, such and such. Wow, they handed us a live chicken, a live chicken, and four huge avocados. And, and I was like, I, when I see the pictures, I'm like, wow, my face was like, what are they doing? But that's what I was thinking. But then I realized as we prayed for this family who who was blessing us. They were blessing. That was a meal for this family. They gave up a meal for these foreigners to say, thank you for coming and preaching the word of God. And then I lost it completely. I could, my eyes started leaking. They wouldn't stop. And I was like, praise the Lord, this, this family. And we were able to then as God moved in our team to sow a seed back into the pastor's church. So that whole sowing a seed thing the pastor preached about, we saw that come to life. Not just the tithe, but the seed. So, wow, there's so many stories. So many stories. It's hard when you come back and you're trying to say, man, look what God did. Look what he did. He showed up. But I like what Jesse said. He's the same God here in Mandeville, Louisiana. We want to see God do signs and wonders and miracles here. We went to a sober living house. That was the first time that New Life Outreach Ministries did that. And really, God opened the door just to share the gospel with these addicts and people that are there that have addictions. And that was just God. So a few take-homes that I have with me. Fear of the Lord. We saw that. We saw the reverence, fear of the Lord in their worship. They don't care if what you think about how they worship. They're not, they're not saying, I hope that these foreigners like what I'm wearing. No. Fear of the Lord. Fear of the Lord. In, in Proverbs 9, 10, it says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Seems so simple, fear of the Lord. But it's that reverent fear of the Lord. It came to mind to me, praise and worship, as Jessie shared her testimony many times on this trip, and they just loved it. But uh, Psalms 34, 1, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. We spent a lot of time praising the Lord while we were there, seriously, because we, we didn't have our jobs, our normal jobs. So we would spend time worshiping and praising. Then I got back home, and I'm like, ugh. Man, I'm at work, and the praise is not on my lips. Help me, Jesus. I'm trying, but may the praise ever be on my lips and help us to do that. And then I'm just going to focus on faith, increase faith. And as God would have it, <laughs> he said laugh, so I'm going to laugh. <laughs> Dr. Egan Fox said laugh. Hebrews 11:6 6 says, for without faith... It is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. We were praying for increased faith in our team, in our body here at REACH. And God gave us the opportunity to see that, that faith increase, even this morning as God would have it and he allowed it. Something came up in my physical body and I was like, Oh, not today. Not today. Today's not a good day for that to happen. It's not convenient. I don't want it. But then I, everything came back to my mind. Increase, increase my faith, Lord. Increase my faith, Lord. Increase my faith. Lord, help me. Help me. I'm trying. I'm trying, and, but I'm believing for healing in my physical body today. Power and manifestation. Oh, Acts 1.8 says, and you... and." I totally forgot it. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth. 
couple churches we went to, I thought we were at the ends of the earth, but we got there eventually. And you know what, though? The people showed up, and they worshiped, and they praised, and it was on their lips. And then we saw the, the church James was speaking of in the, in the bush. Man, the power of God. The power of God was manifested in that church. I mean, that people came out of nowhere. I don't even know where they showed up from, but there was a structure of a church, and they showed up, and the power of God was manifested there. So praise the Lord. You know what? It can happen here. It can happen here in this church. Our pastors love the Lord. They love missions. They've done it. They just don't speak and say, oh, yeah, let's do that. No, they've done it. They've done the hard things. Praise the Lord. So you can get involved next Sunday. There was one particular day after we met with Dr. Egan and Miss Hannah, and I'm going to tell you, that was so encouraging that these men and women of God, well, they've gone through hard times. They have, but they've been faithful to to what God has called them to. And I'll never forget Miss Hannah, who's pretty quiet. She said just three small words. And you think, wow, that's not too much. No, it wasn't too much. But she said, don't give up. She said, don't give up. No matter how hard walking with the Lord, doing what he calls you to do, don't give up. And we just looked at her. And I thought, wow, I'm sure they felt like giving up. I'm sure they felt all those years. I'm sure they felt like giving up, but they didn't give up. Praise the Lord. And then there's one more passage that God brought to my mind. That speaks about compassion in Matthew nine thirty five through 38. It says, Then Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them. Because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. And then he said to his disciples, The harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest and send out laborers into his harvest. It does not say in God's word that Jesus healed a few. That is not what my Bible says. It says healing every sickness and every disease among the people. I I don't know what every means in another language, but in English it means every. Every. Everyone. Praise the Lord. Jesus had compassion. He had compassion. This word means to have pity So I'm not just too busy to see someone in need over here and say, oh, I'm sorry. I don't have time. I'm really busy. I got this to do over here. No, Jesus had compassion. When's the last time you had compassion for someone? True compassion where you say, man, I, I see you right there. I see you. I see you. And Jesus in my heart says, I want to help you. Not just, I'm too busy, I got to go to this side. There's a story of our our day after we, uh, the same day that we, the first three days were a little bit of a blur, but after we met with them for lunch and we were just encouraged and how God was so faithful, we went to a shirt store to get a shirt for James because we didn't have luggage, which was a little bit of a task. But anyway, we found a shirt and we first of all went to a dress shirt place, and we realized this was not the shirt kind of shirt. Well, this is a T-shirt to have a change of clothes. Well, there were a couple, three ladies in the shirt store, and they spoke English. We didn't have a translator at the time, which was just a God thing, honestly. So these two ladies, um, Gary was looking, and the guys were looking, and their two ladies were there. And so I said, let me ask you a question. And they said sure they spoke English and I was like man this is just the divine setup right here they don't they're not speaking Swahili they're speaking English I can communicate no translator yet so I shared the gospel and they both got saved yeah and the the one girl praise the Lord yeah praise the Lord 
the one girl who had a head dressing on, I'm not sure what you call it, but she, 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 I almost talked them out of not receiving Jesus, but they did. Cause I was like, are you sure they un- you understand? They're like, yes, we understand. Would you like, yes. I'm like, okay, they got it. Then I said, the one lady said, you know, I'm a Muslim, but I just prayed to receive Jesus. Woo. And I was like, okay, she got it. She got it. She really got it. So you know what? Uh, it says the harvest truly is plentiful. The workers are few. We got to pray. We got to pray more. We got a chance next weekend to go to the French Quarter. I know the people, some people down there look crazy, but they need Jesus. They need Jesus. Maybe you, you're like, I can't go. I got, I got something going on in my life. I can't go. You know what? You can donate for the items that need to be given to the homeless people. Maybe you can't get there next Sunday. Pray. Pray for the people going. There's always, don't ever say, I can't be a part. If you prayed for us, thank you. Because when I was running through the airport trying to make my next flight and thought I was going to die, I appreciate your prayers. That was just one of many. Some things came up during the, during the trip and we're like, oh. Like Jesse said, but it was, a, it was a chance for our team to say, God can do it. God can do it. We believe. So praise the Lord. Thank you for supporting us. Uh, I know there's another trip next year. You know what? Sign up now. Sign up now. Let's pray. Pray for workers. Pray for workers. Thank you, Lord. All right. Uh, it was a pleasure, I can say now, going on this trip. <laughs> yeah. Let's just be honest. <laughs> well, James, there was truth in what Jesse said, at least for me. Uh, let me start out by reading this scripture in John. Uh, Jesus, near the end of his ministry, Uh, is praying to the Father, and evidently the disciples were around enough to where they could hear it, and they recorded it. And uh, I'm going to focus, though, in on the last two verses uh, of John 17, verse 25 and 26. O righteous Father, although the world has not known you, yet I have known you, and these have known that you sent me. And I have made your name known to them and will make it known so that the love with which you love me may be in them and I in them. So uh, thank you, Lord. When we started uh, preparing for this trip, um, I was like, okay, you know, what do I want out of this trip? So I was like, God, I want to see the things I read about. I want to see signs, wonders, and miracles. Lord, Lord, I want a fresh touch from you. I need a fresh touch from you. And then, Lord, I was like, Lord, I just want you to reveal to me what are my spiritual gifts. I need to know this. So uh, pastors that asked us that, they're like, hey, you need to be expecting something. What are you expecting? So they led us in that. And uh, that's what I was expecting. So uh, going into it, uh, that's my expectation, and uh, you know, God is a God who shows up in unexpected places. He showed up at a funeral procession in Nain, where a widow was burying her only son, and he showed up at a well where an outcast a woman who was outcast from her society needed salvation. And then he showed up at the pool of Bethesda where a man who was crippled for 38 years, and the Bible said had been there for a long time, needed a miracle. And you know what? That's who God was to me. He showed up in an unexpected place for me. Here we are. We're driving on a way to a safari. And we're, I don't know where we're going. My goodness, we were going somewhere. And it was way far out. And all of a sudden, I had an encounter with the Lord, a fresh touch. And he's like, Gary, you want to see signs and wonders? 
I'm going to show you the miracle that's before you. He said, that love that you feel for these people that you never met. And I'm not talking I like you. No, I loved these people with a supernatural love. I, I couldn't get enough of them. They'll testify. Joshua, I wanted to talk to him. Uh, Rosie, the people I met, I, I don't know where it was coming from. It was supernatural. And God's like, there's your miracle, Gary. And boy, whew, I was overwhelmed. Man, then, then I look out the window, and I just see these people sitting on the side of the road. And all of a sudden, uh, I'm like, I wonder if they know the Lord. I wonder if they're experiencing this joy that I have right now of being part of this family. Like James said, you go over there when I tell you, you have family all over this world. You do, brothers and sisters who love you. And they love the Lord. And God awakened me to that. And all of a sudden, the Lord started to chip some stone away from my heart. I was like, God, help me not to forget this because I am forgetful. I'll get back here and I got work and I got people that depend on me. And man, I can't focus on more than one thing. Deborah will tell you that. I'm like, you know, world's blowing up over here. Whatever, I'm doing this. You got to know who you are. So I was like, Lord, help me not to forget this miracle that you did in my life. And uh, Deborah, the next day, is walking around praying in the parking lot, and she found this stone. I meant to bring it. And it is in the rough shape of a heart, and on the back of it is this piece chipped out. And I'm like, well, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. So God is a God who answers prayers. He, uh, he answered those prayers for me. My spiritual gift, uh, I'm, not, <laughs> I'm not too sure of yet, but, Lord, I know that you've given me one, and I'll discover it. Hallelujah. Uh, so that, that is my testimony Uh, That when I went there, I met family. And I I was just involved in these people's lives. I'll tell you this one little thing, and then i got to get to preaching the message. Uh, I was sitting on the uh, little porch there where we stayed, and I was just thinking, Lord, what did I do? What did I do to deserve to be born in America? I mean, I'm looking at these people, and uh, the average blue-collar worker there makes the equivalent of 200 U.S. dollars a month. And uh, I'm like, why, God, do I have the privilege of living in America? And uh, <sighs> our driver came up, who, he was our second driver, and and he was a hot mess at first, <laughs> passing places up. And, uh, oh, man. And, you know, I was kind of complaining. This guy doesn't know where he's going. And uh, as I'm talking to him that day on the porch, he said, my mind hadn't been with you while I'm driving because my mother's been in the hospital. And I went to send money to her. And I sent money, and the numbers got crossed, and now I don't know where the money is. And uh, uh, in Kungi, our uh, in Kungi, I can't. How do you say his name? And yes, that's it right there. He ministered to this man, and's like, "God's got this. You're going to get your money back." And he did. But uh, as I share with that man, I was like, you know, why? I was just asking myself why I have this privilege. And uh, and he just opened up. And he's like, you know, I got this. <laughs> I, got, I got this land that I own that's by this mountain. And he's like, uh, you know, if you want to build a church there or start an orphanage. And I'm like, wow, that's... <laughs> That's awesome that you would offer to sell us this land. And he's like, no, I'm, 
I'm not selling you the land. I'm giving you the land. And then I was like, well, wait a minute. God's got to send me before I make a decision like that. But here, here, and James is like, I'd pass it. Uh, at any rate, he offered me that, and he's like, come on, I'll take you around. I'll show you this land and that land and the other land. I, all of a sudden, I was overwhelmed, and, uh, but it all happened because I loved him enough to talk to him. Um, God is so good in that way. Um, let me speak to you today from uh, the letter to Corinth, the second letter to Corinth, and I'm going to talk to you about our future hope and our present love and how that affects you today. And uh, really, I'm going to focus in on the verses from verse 14 to the end of the chapter, but my goodness, that's what I'll do. But I'm going to give you a little context by reading the first couple of verses. So, uh, Lord, we, we come before you, God, Open our hearts to your truth. Holy Spirit, apply the truth of Jesus to our hearts, Lord. Oh, give us ears to hear, eyes to see, and hearts to understand. In Jesus' name I ask it. Amen. It says in verse 1 of chapter 5, For we know that if the earthly tent, which is our house, is torn down, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens, so here, Paul is, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is, is telling believers, I want you to be encouraged because this world is not it. In these mortal bodies, we know pain, we know sorrow, we know suffering. But there's coming a time, it says this in Revelation uh, chapter 7, that there's going to be a time where he wipes away our tears and there's going to be no more pain and suffering. But for right now, we're stuck in these bodies. And we're living in this world that's infected with sin. And as a result, we are experiencing troubles. And it says, uh, it says that future hope, though. Now, listen, I wasn't going to get into this, but I'm going to get into it. Uh, verse 2. Let me just read these next couple of verses. For indeed, in this house, we groan, longing to be... <clears throat> clothed with our dwelling from heaven. Inasmuch as we having put it on will not be found naked. Well, let's stop right there. I was reading this. I'm like, Lord, Paul, what, what on earth are you talking about here? In this house, in our mortal body, when we experience pain and suffering, and you look out in this world, and you see the pain and suffering that's in this world, it makes you sigh. You groan, oh, how can this be happening? It should pain you because of the love of Christ within you. And he says, inasmuch as we put on the dwelling of heaven, we will not be found naked. Well, let's dig into that a little more. For indeed, while we're in this tent, this mortal body, we groan, being burdened, because we do not want to be unclothed, but we want to be clothed so that what is mortal will be swallowed up by life. Paul here is taking a natural example. And he's like, okay, this mortal body, we experience pain. We experience suffering. And we want out of it. But nobody in here wants to run around naked. Right? We want to be clothed. Thank you. So the clothing Paul's talking about, though, is the unity that we have with Christ. Right now, right now, we can put this on. That's what he's talking about. So that what is mortal will be swallowed up by life. Here's what I got from it. You know what? I spend a little too much of my time trying to escape the troubles I'm in. I need to spend more time trying to enter in to the presence of the Lord, putting on that which is life. Um, thank you, Lord. We have, a, we have an eternal home that God has in store for us, not 
prepared with hands, but that God prepared. And it's going to be good. And there's not going to be any more pain and suffering. But also, there's another truth about our future. Uh, In verse 10, we're skipping around a lot. Uh, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. You know, there's a reality that every single person, saved and not saved, is going to appear before the Lord for judgment. Now, if you're saved, you're going to appear before the Lord Jesus to answer for your life, but it will not be for eternal damnation. But we're going to have to give an account of our life before the Lord. Paul says in verse 11, Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, that God is just, we persuade men. We persuade men. We care enough about him to say, look, there's a day coming when you're going to have to answer before a holy God. And we know that this is coming, so we're, we're bound to persuade him. He says, we are made manifest to God, and I hope we are made manifest also in your consciences. What he's saying is God knows our heart. God knows your heart. You know, Pastor just said, if, you, if you're not just fully in love with the Lord, you're going to have trouble going out and being a minister for him, witnessing for him. God knows your heart. God knows the heart of his children who are witnessing And hopefully, it'll be made known to those who you're witnessing to over time. They'll know that, you know what, the gospel starts with love, not condemnation, for God so loved the world. God demonstrated his own true love in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The gospel starts in love. That's our, our knowing that future, that we have an eternal home where there'll be no more pain and suffering, and that there's a day of judgment. Those things play together with our present love. He says in verse 14, for the love of Christ controls us. The love of Christ controls us. You know, uh, hmm. God is a God with a plan and a purpose. Um, That day we met with Dr. Egan and as they affectionately call her, Mama Hannah. She she spoke some words that the Lord has buried deep in my heart. Some of them actually were like a knife, uh, but in a good way. The love of Christ controls us. Um, So, there'll be some of you, most of you, that this might be a surprise for. Um, When this opportunity to come up to Africa came, I was like, okay, I'm ready. Because it's been my wife's dream and passion for many years. I was thinking, this is going to cost me a lot of money. And they have things that I want to get done. And people are depending on me, and I got stuff here, and every other excuse. Hmm. it! But the love of Christ controls us. Having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died. And he died for all so that they who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. We're sitting at the table with Mama Hannah and Dr. Egan, and we're talking, and uh, I don't know, Deborah read their book, and Jesse, or somehow the topic comes up of the difficulties that they must have faced. And uh, 
uh, they had to send their children at a young age back to uh, Denmark to be in a boarding school because at that time the education in Tanzania was not that good. And they, they wanted their kids to have a good education. So they were separated from their kids. And uh, I remember, you know, the point was brought up, that must have been hard. And Mama Hannah says, you know, it was hard, but we didn't have to die. And I, whoo, I was like, man, you're right. The Lord took that pain for us. The Lord took that pain for us. And that's the love that he has. But I'll tell you, the love of Christ will never control you until you experience it. See, there's a lot of people that, uh, uh, they've heard about it, but they've never experienced the love of Christ. They've never been overwhelmed by the depth and the height in the width of his love, that when you dive into it, no matter how deep you go, you'll never get to the bottom of it. That love that he has for us, that love should motivate us not to live for ourselves, but in response to that love, to live for him. I'm not saying that everybody's going to be a, a, a full-time minister. I'm not I'm saying that where you are in, in front of the people he puts you in front of, you live for him and do whatever he leads you to do. His love. As a result of his love, verse 16 and 17, Therefore, from now on, we recognize no one according to the flesh. Even though we knew Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him in this way no longer. Say what? Paul's saying when Jesus walked around, we saw him just the way I'm looking at you. And I knew him in the flesh. He was a good man. He did good things. He taught the word of God. But you know what? It's funny. It, it appears the only ones during his ministry that recognized who he really was were the demons. <laughs> they bowed down before him. Oh, don't cast us out, Lord. The other ones said, oh, teacher, rabbi. It wasn't until after the resurrection that they saw him as God, the Son of God, all-powerful, the Prince of Peace. We need spiritual eyes. Therefore, I mean, therefore, now we recognize no one. You know what? When we went to Africa, we don't see Africans. When you go to the French Quarter, you're not going to see destitute people. You need to see them with God's eyes as they truly are. Created in his image. Loved by him. You know what the Bible says? The Bible says it pleased God to crush the Lord Jesus for you and for them. That's the love that he has for them. We let us have spiritual eyes to see people as God sees them. Not in their circumstances, but as a valued soul. Hallelujah. But not only seeing others. Look, we got to get a right vision of ourselves. Lord, help us. It says right here. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away. Let me tell you a little something about me. I am a quitter. I hate quitters. But I have been called, ordained, and licensed as a minister of the gospel. And I quit. I quit because it was hard. I quit. It doesn't matter. I quit. We're sitting at that table 
with Mama Hannah. And she says, uh, whatever you do, don't give up. Well, I didn't sleep that night. I'm going to tell you something. You are not a disappointment to God. You are not a failure. There was this man called Peter, and he said, Lord, I love you. Even if I have to die, I won't turn my back on you. And Jesus said, Peter, Satan desires to sift you like wheat. But when you return, I'm praying that you encourage the brothers. The devil took Peter and he shook him up violently that night. And he denied him three times. And he was shocked. He ran off. See, the devil likes to do that. He likes to shake us up and break us in pieces. And he wants to hold that in front of you. Look, you're a failure. Look what you did. You're a failure as a father. You're a failure as a mother. You're a failure as a daughter. You're a failure as a son. You're a failure as an employee. Failure, failure, failure. You know what? I'm not going to say that the Lord's not interested in those failures. Because he is. But here's how he's interested. He took those failures and he put them around his neck. Failure as a father. As he hung on that cross, he put that on his neck. Your failure as a daughter, as a son, he put that on his neck. He took all those failures because he loves you. And that's not who you are. You're not a disappointment to him. He loves you. You're his child. And walk in that. The devil wants to show you who you were. But you are loved by God. You are not a failure or a disappointment. And I thank God for waking me up to remind me of that that night. Now, all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, it says. Namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And as he committed to us the word of reconciliation. Church, you have been entrusted with the ministry of the word of reconciliation. Not condemnation, but reconciliation. That God loves people so much that he'll send his only begotten son to suffer the punishment, his wrath, so that they might be one with him. That is the message that we carry. That's not, oh, you need to go to church. No, that's not people's greatest problem. It's not you need to stop drinking. You're not a steep, you stop using drugs. You need to stop cheating on your husband or your wife. You need to listen to him. No. You need to confess Jesus as your Lord and be reconciled to God. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were making an appeal through us, we beg you on the behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. If you can't hear the love of Christ in Paul's voice, this is not, I got something I got to tell you to be a good Christian. No, he loved people. He said, my my job is, Not to say what I want to say, but to speak what God has me to speak. As though God himself is making an appeal through you to everyone you talk to. Everyone you talk to that he leads you to share the gospel with. As you open your mouth, 
He's speaking through you. Making an appeal. Please, please be reconciled to me. He says, I beg people. Really? I mean, what do I have to do, Lord? You need to beg people because you don't want them to go to a godless hell. That's where I was headed. That's where you were headed till he reached out to you. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. The greatest exchange in history. He took upon himself every failure and sin that you have done and will ever do. In exchange for that, he gave you his righteousness. So that when you appear before God, he doesn't see, oh, here's old mess up Gary. No, he says, nope, this is my child who is righteous in all ways because of Christ, what Christ did for us.